FMX Network Production. You cast me, I'll complete me till death do all part. What's up, guys? It's Alex Gray, and you're listening to the Pulp MX Wrap Up Show. That's all we need is more fake news, Pulp MX bullshit. It's quality, not quantity. All right, man. Welcome to the Pulp MX Wrap Up Show. This is Dark Side from the Moto X Pod Show. This is the number one wrap-up show in the moto industry, where each week, myself and a couple guests wrap up and discuss the good, the bad, and the janky in that week's Pulp Mech Show. But before we get started, I want to thank all the sponsors who've come on board. Guts Racing, Michelin Bicycle Tires, Seal Savers, and Motosport.com. I appreciate all the help and support from those great companies, so please use them and support them. Also, feel free to reach out with questions, comments, or critiques by emailing me, darkside at pulpmex.com. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Let's go, Pulpa Max. The wrap-up show is back. I'm your host, Darkside, brought to you by Seal Savers. For everybody listening, sorry about the fact that there is no sound bites in the intro this week, but, you know, short time. Didn't have enough time to get it all together. Getting back from California. Only had a few hours today to put this thing together. So, next week, all right, no show next week. Never mind. Won't be one next week either. But tonight, my guests are some really good ones. First up, from the Moto Limited show and my golf partner, brought to you by Michelin Bicycle Tires, Nick Still. What's up, Nick? Hey, Dark Side, what's cracking, dude? What's uh, You back in big Texas or are you still in Cali? What's, what's the story? Uh, got back last night about 11 o'clock Central and got up early and started working. Vital MX, you know, lots of stuff to do. The grind is there. I respect it, bro. Respect yeah, it's it. it's busy. Another speaking of grind. Next up, he's from the Collective of Experience, and he's brought to you tonight by Guts Racing, Mister Dave Drakes, not Derek, as I misspoke Monday night. Dave Drakes, what's up, dude? <laughs> what's up, brother? I'll, you know what? I'll let it pass. Derek Drake is a fast dude, so if you talk about me in the same breath, I'm feeling pretty good, man. Me, my speed's there too. Yeah, I didn't even realize it until I was listening back for some audio stuff, and I was like, oh god, I said Derek. Oops. <laughs> it's all good, man. Hey, as long as Nick knows who I am, that's all that matters, man. Yeah, but who? Nobody knows who Nick is, though. He, nobody can understand the guy. <laughs> hey, people, Super people, deep. people know what I'm saying. It's all good. Nick, did you get back to Australia? Yeah, I did. Um, it is a. It's a long time. I, I forget every time how big of a haul that is from California back to Australia. But now nah, we're back. We got back yesterday, late yesterday. So okay. A of hours. I thought and, you uh, got back just a few hours ago. Yeah. Well, it's only early morning here, so gotcha. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's uh. Yeah. Well, Not listen. real good, but I think it's thirty-six hours or something. But I'm I'm out of bed into bed. Nice. Well, this week we're going to talk about show five eighteen, following the two thousand twenty-two Pro Motocross Champions at Fox uh, Championship at Fox Raceway. In studio, Kellen Brower from Racer X and Start Your Systems. He was in studio, obviously. Mitch Payton, Lewis Phillips, Josh Jelly Ellingson, and Chris Betts all on the phone. Let's get right into this. The guests, the co-hosts, etc. Dave, best caller of the night. Oh man, that's a that's a very tough one. That's a seems pretty simple for my end. Oh man, it's 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 tough. I mean, dude, on, on just having Mitch on the show, dude. Like, 
that one's for that, that that's that's always sick to me. You yeah. know what I mean? Like any whether he's whether he's in studio calling or like they just bring the guy up. Like there always there always seems to be something that's like around something that he says that like is like either prolific or like bring some sort of moto wisdom. You know what I mean? It's almost yeah, like yeah. a coster. Absolutely. You know yeah. what I mean? Mitch was pretty yeah. good. I don't think he was as good as me. You missed you missed the, the point of the question, but that's okay. <laughs> I just deleted. <laughs> you, you, know, you know it's always top of my list, man. Come on. Sure, sure, sure. Nick, <laughs> uh, honestly, yeah, favorite guest of the night. Dude, I'm going to have to go with Josh. Um, okay. I don't, really know, I don't really know much about him. So uh, that was that was pretty cool, and learned a few things about him there. I think he's a, I think he's a pretty cool guy, pretty down to earth dude. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to put him and then Mitch Payton as well. So okay, well you should if you don't know much about Josh, you should go read my article on Racer X on Josh there, Nick. But that's all right. Not following my stuff. I think we're going to have to nix you from the next show. Uh, yeah, but I agree. Mitch, for me, anyway, Mitch Payton was the fa- favorite guest of the night. Mitch had a lot of good stuff. Finding out that him and Troy Lee tried to bring back. You know, to promote the Glen Helen National, to get it back on the s- series, hearing him talk about amateurs, all that stuff. We're going to get into that. Joe Shimoda, that was... But Mitch Payton was my favorite uh, call guest of the night. What about Kellen Brower, Nick? Kellen has become... The dude's so knowledgeable. He is probably in my top three or four favorite coasts now. He just gets better and better every time. Yeah, dude, I forget every time how good Kellen is. Because uh, it's usually a bit of a gap every time between, like, he's usually in... And he doesn't usually go in with anyone else, which is good because I feel like he needs to be sort of on his own yeah. with Steve. But the knowledge he's got and, you know, hearing him break down the races as well from a technical side, it's uh, it's pretty awesome. And just, you know, some of the little known facts as well that he gets from obviously working with Race Direct and alongside Weege, um, super, super good. And he's... Uh, He's starting to grow that name. I don't know. He's going to be more. He's going to be more known for Racer X and start your system soon. So that's cool. Yeah, he's he's good. Dave, what do you think about Kellen as a co-host? Um, I, I think he's pretty solid. I do think he he brings um sort of a, a unique perspective in, of sorts. Like he's he's not the typical um you know moto take that, that we hear a lot. But um, I originally I didn't know too much about him, but the more he's on there, the more I'm like, okay, like I can I can hop on board. Like he's got a he got a different viewpoint on things. It's cool. It shakes it up a little bit, adds a little bit of parody. So uh, I dig it. I, yeah. I think he's pretty solid. Very knowledgeable. Uh, yeah. Steve didn't remember to introduce marks or tits until about the 18 uh-huh. minute mark. Dave, terrible, on, terrible man. hosting, terrible boss. I, I don't know what is with Steve, but he just shits on his employees constantly. Oh man, poor, poor Marks, man. I, I feel so bad. <laughs> that dude. I mean, yeah, without without Marks, there is no show, and Steve doesn't even mention him for eighteen minutes almost. Yeah, that's see, that's wild to me. You know what? They should just defect to uh, to you know Moto X Pod, man. There you go, or yeah, or maybe Moto Limited. What do you think, Nick? What do you think about that taking that long to introduce the star of the show, Marks, and the guy in the, the you know the backbone of the show, Tits Legendary? Yeah, I thought that was a little little strange the whole time. I, it felt like they were transitioning into the show. Yeah, with that, I was like, oh, okay, um, did I miss something? And then also, I don't know if you guys heard it. It might have been just on my end, but I think it was Kellen's side. There was a buzz on his mic, and it, it was terrible. I don't know if you guys can hear that, but now that I've said it, go back and listen. So I don't know what was going on there, but uh, interesting. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's 
pretty sure they fixed it, yeah. Yeah, I never heard it, but I listen, I was listening in the truck, so there was a lot of road noise, so maybe I missed it. Uh, Dave, did you hear anything like that at the beginning? No. Okay. I, I, I honestly didn't. It's probably just Nick's Australian equipment. It's not as good as American equipment. <laughs> the Aussie Wi-Fi. An iPhone's an iPhone, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. They give you guys a shitty... They give you the defective ones. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we ship the defective... The ones that fall on the floor, that's what we ship those to Australia. Oh, okay. Goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start with the discussion from Fox... Uh, heat and the track conditions were a little bit of a topic early in the show. Let's listen. We'll get into it. And it was hot. Kellen, I was, I'm going to name <laughs> drop right now, but I was talking to James and Chad on the starting line before, during practice, and I'm not moving and sweat is beating up on my arm and dripping off and I'm yeah. not moving. It was hot. Uh, so having said that they watered the shit out of it in practice because they kind of had to. Yeah. And then what, what happened? There was no middle. There was an no. inside and an outside, and that was it. And it was just slosh in yeah, the middle. Yeah, like if you yeah. went offline even a little bit, you're losing like two or three seconds yeah, because yeah. you're going to get stuck for a little bit. And I get the watering the shit out of it was yeah. 110 degrees. So I what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was I go- it. It, at some point it was going to get dry, yeah. hard. Yeah. You know, they were trying to not let it get blue grooved. Yeah. Really, is what they were trying to do, and it created, in my opinion, some sketchy situations with how long and notchy the ruts were, right. like down straightaways and stuff. But that's such uh, a hard uh, track to get right when it's that hot. Nick, I'm going to start with you since you were there. You coming? You came over from Australia's winter time, basically. But look, it yeah, it was hot. It was not WW Ranch hot. It was not Freestone hot. It was not Loretta Lynn's hot, or you know the humidity. It, it, Steve was talking about sweating. I mean, I was sweating a little bit, but it wasn't that damn hot, dude. Oh, dude, I don't know. That was probably the hottest I've ever sort of experienced on a racetrack before. I've never been over on the east side before, so it'd be interesting to see what it was like, too. But it was, it was hot, and then hearing Steve talk about it there, and you know, name drop with JS7 that they were, uh, they were all struggling. The heat's pretty makes me feel better. It makes me feel like I'm not the only one. Um, you know, Steve was also wearing a black shirt like I was, so maybe we, maybe we chose the wrong, uh, the wrong dress attire. Maybe that was it. Dave Drakes, you've done some East Coast stuff. I again. It is hot, 108, whatever it was. It was hot. I mean, mm-hmm. Wednesday of last week was like 113. It was even hotter at Paris that day for the Kawasaki intro. But we've had hotter conditions, I believe. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Bud's Creek sometimes and Southwick, I mean, you're you're literally like you're breathing in water vapor. It is so freaking hot and humid. <laughs> right, right. Uh, both of those tracks are somewhat in a valley also. So it's, you're just getting all that heat just baking and sitting there. Plus, being a Texas guy now, I mean, the heat down here, dark side, you know, it's second to none, man. We're, we're living in Satan's ass crack right down here. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's tough to hear anyone complain about heat where it's like, dude, come on. It ain't, it ain't that hot, dude. Yeah. Try living in Texas or try doing buds in the middle of freaking August or south like middle of August when the humidity is just like 80% and it's 100 degrees and you're just like, there's no... Uh, let up in that in that kind of condition. Yeah, I mean it's hot, but it ain't as hot as it's been other places. No, like Steve talking about sweating. Yeah, I sweat a little bit, but again, not. I, I could walk outside yeah. my house right now and be pouring sweat compared to out there. Exactly. But, but it did have an adverse effect on the track. The track sucked. Uh, they talked about the fact that you know there was it was kind of sloshy and there was no middle. There's a couple sections like before that tabletop at the beginning. 
that the inside was completely almost, almost completely useless. We did see, I think, Hunter go in a couple times on that inside, but the track was somewhat dangerous, Nick, uh, just with the conditions as choppy as it got, rocks, you know, big chunks of rocks in the face of some of the jumps. And and that was probably weather, right? They could no matter how much water they put on the track, it just evaporated. It was almost I don't know, it was terrible track conditions. Yeah, just like, you know, Steve said there, there's nothing they could really do. They knew it was gonna be hot. They knew eventually it was gonna dry out. I think they were just trying to uh you know, keep it as decent as they could and maybe even for the T V side of things so it wasn't dusty or if it wasn't, you know, uh shitty for the beginning of the morning. But at the same time, like I'm surprised that they don't sort of mention or, or, you know, when Steve talks about the heat, I feel like the moto started at the hottest part of the day, like, and they were, they were drawn out more. So I don't know, maybe that gives the track more time to dry out. I don't know, maybe when you've got heat and stuff like that, you change the schedule to make the motos earlier in the morning or afternoon. I don't know, I guess it's probably hard with TV, but. Yeah, with TV, yeah. they were locked in. Yeah. Yeah interesting to hear but yeah i'm sort of with steve on that one about you know they've just got to flood it and hope that it uh makes it last a little bit longer yeah and dave with the track conditions that were actually the the weather conditions that were predicted ahead of time they shortened the motos and that was a discussion that was brought up they talked about it a few times steve talked about it with mitch you know and steve was kind of ambivalent i guess is the word where hey either way it was fine the teams decided and of course mitch said hey it was fair for everybody, but he also gave some other opinions on like the the fact that let's say somebody had crashed, Chase did crash in Moto Two, right? And then if he's trying to chase Eli down and he gets two or three laps short because of time, that could be a little disappointing. But what do you think of their discussion on the the motos being shortened? You know, was it a big deal to you? Did you who you did you agree with the, the everybody in studio or maybe have a different opinion? Uh, so I, I see the merit in, in shifting things. I kind of look at it as like um, when you have to cut moto short because of like inclement weather or like a thunderstorm or, or it's just super muddy. It, it, you, can, you can kind of take it in that direction. However, like trying to be a moto purist, I <laughs> strongly agree that you, you should keep, keep the long motos, man. I mean, this is a sport that's built to figure out who's the toughest mf out there, right? You want to see the toughest guy on the on the most rugged bike, and it's a man sport. you all out there dying together, and the best man comes out on top, right? So um, I I personally like that take on it. I really, I really think motocross should be kept in its true, pure form. It's just the raddest dudes going out there against the inclement weather, against all adversity and whatever for a 30-plus-2 good old-fashioned moto. So okay. um, that's kind of how I feel about it. Do I do sympathize? I do feel with it. I know I'm not a pro athlete. I ain't a pro guy. I'm not out there, but being a fan of the sport and, and watching it, that's just, that's my opinion. I, I mean, I think these guys are paid pretty big bucks to be able to train and do this and, and put themselves through the rigor so that they can sustain and, and, and race in these conditions. So uh, that's just, that's just my two cents. I know there's some guys out there that are probably thinking I'm crazy, but I, I really think that moto should be kept, should be kept 30 plus two pretty much across the board, except for like, you know, absolute rain mutters where you can't get the face of jumps and like lightning and stuff like that. You know? Yeah. I, I don't know. I've kind of more on the, I lean towards like what Kellen talked about. You know, you look at the history of when we had uh, the death a few years ago at red, I think it was at red Bud with Lictal, And, you know, I think the safety of the riders is, 
should be number one. And yeah, it doesn't matter what we've done in the past when it comes to the safety. If we can do something that might save somebody, I feel like that's a little more important. That's kind of my side. Um, that whole topic did lead into a race tech rant later in the show. Race tech, uh, it's pulp 22 to save at race tech. Let's listen. The moto shorting, the moto shortening, like Peyton said it best. Like just, you know, I hope it doesn't decide a champion, but I'm whatever with it. And I'm that way also. Like, I know, you know, the, the job of a sports radio guy is to have some strong opinion, and I certainly have strong opinions at the time. <laughs> and I beat the, you know, beat the counter for opinions. I'm ambivalent on the on the uh, moto shortening from Paula. But my, my rant is, you cannot like it. You can, you know, Jeff Ward called it out. Old motocross guys called it out on social media, right? The, you know, Tim Ferry said it was fine. Like Tim Ferry's the other way about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, you can have opinion. Like I don't think they should shorten it, and I'm fine with that. But you can at least under to me. This is my rant. Why can't people at least understand why? So if you're a these guys are pussies, <laughs> these guys are losers, and I'm tough and all this guy. Can you at least understand that the teams were fine with this? There were so many people that were like, the sport just died today. <laughs> and I'm like... And, and all these ex-pros, they're all so gnarly and so <laughs> tough. I was there, man. I watched you guys pull off the track. I've seen many of the greats of motocross and supercross quit races. I saw it. I saw them crash and quit. And, you know, they didn't ride with their bars bent or they didn't do any of this other shit. They just quit. Nick, the, the rant is important because it it is kind of something we're going through in this day and age right where people just have to give their opinion and you know that's i think that's where this is leading right why why do you why can't you just say okay this is what they decided let's go with it but instead the old pros or the keyboard warriors whatever have to voice their opinions and it's kind of funny that steve called some of the pros out like hey i saw you quit like these guys think they're tougher than maybe they were right like, as if our current athletes aren't that tough it's a ridiculous thought process and i don't know why there has to be negativity when a decision was made and it wasn't even made by the writers it was made by the teams yeah absolutely dude i uh i agree with steve 150 percent there you know that's a lot some of the things on twitter and you know some of the the videos and all oh, on this day it was this hot we did this motos i'm sorry bro who fucking cares this is uh <laughs> That was then, this is now, and, and like you said, I, I it comes down to rider safety. And at the same time, when this was all getting talked about last week, nobody even mentioned the Josh Lichelle, um until this week and sort of what happened there. You know, everyone sort of beats the drum that rider safety is everything we're looking for and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I'm with Steve on that one. Some of these dudes need to, to wake the fuck up, I think. I agree. Not not a very aggressive race tech rant, but a race tech rant that I appreciated. Going back to Fox Raceway, we had the championship decided. Really good battle. Obviously, a one-point difference going in. Steve wasn't able to pull the big dog, Eli Tomac, for Monday night. That's kind of a failure on his part. But let's listen to what they had to say about it. I just thought that first moto by Tomac was... And he told me afterwards he had to win the first moto. He was really... Gunning for the first moto with the one point up. He needed that one. To, and then second moto, we could lay back. I thought that first moto was just perfect. Just follow Chase Sexton. Neither one making a mistake. Neither guy, you know, uh, uh, putting a wheel wrong. And then follow him, follow him. Use the lappers. 
catch up to him, and then Chase made a mistake in the rollers. Eli squirts by, and then, look, Sexton's just as fast as Eli, if not faster. And uh, Eli just totally put pulled away like a second and a half or whatever and maintained it and took the moto win. I think it was a culmination of everything that he's learned this year watching Sexton in front of him because they've raced each other so much that, like, I think by the end of the year, they knew each other's tendencies to a degree. Uh-huh. And with him, like, uh, you know, you go back to Iron Man, and, and he watched him in front of him for a long time, and then the second he hit lap traffic, he would, you know, yeah. catch up to him and then go as, as fast as he can for, like, two or three laps and try to, like, break away from him. He did the exact same thing at Paula. As soon as Sexton started getting a little bit messed up with lappers, maybe he was getting flustered and lost – that's when Tomac is like, I'm pouncing. Yeah. Like, this is a perfect opportunity yep. to start running my hot laps. I figured out all my lines. I've watched what he's doing. I know what I'm doing. And then just go. You almost wonder if, because again, being the chaser is easy. You can see where the guy's going. You can adjust to his lines. You can use the lappers. They don't know what's coming until cha- the leader gets them. There's a, there's a few advantages to being in this position that Eli was. And you would almost wonder, hey, Eli, would you rather uh, take the lead and have Sexton on you? Or would you want to do it? have Jack Sexton lead and you can watch and learn and pounce I, I think he's taking the ladder yeah I agree I think uh, like James even said it on the broadcast he said that he likes the position that Tomac's in to be able to follow read the lines and like Sexton was doing some stuff that Eli wasn't doing or probably going to do like that triple thing in the rollers for example mm-hmm. I think Eli was fine just kind of like pounding yep. through it but for Eli, like you can just take the best of what Sexton's doing and combine it with what you already yeah. know is working. Because Sexton can't look back and see where Tomac is gaining time or losing time. Uh, so you get to read the entire situation and play it out in front of I, you. Uh, Dave, that's, this is where Kellen's analysis like was just absolutely on point and mm-hmm. kind of what makes him such a great co-host. The way he kind of broke down, analyzed what Eli did sitting back there, like the fact that he's been doing this all year, kind of studying chase and then using what he learned in the finals, you know, that I just really liked how Kellen broke it down. I think it was a really great analysis. Uh, Give me your thoughts. No, I think so too. Um, One thing that, that I kind of noticed, and I think listening to the show kind of, uh, kind of sparked the realization. This is sort of the same thing that we saw in like 06 and 07 with James and Ricky. Like uh, by far, I think James was James and Ricky. You'll, you'll never see another two like them. But uh, it kind of plays out the same where you have this young guy who's making waves in the 450 class. You've got this tenured uh, past champion who you know is getting a, a new contender for the first time who can actually go toe to toe with them, if not pull away a little bit. And you're seeing the maturity in that that 10 year champion and like that, uh, the race craft kind of unfold. So yeah, I mean, Tomac took some losses the same way Ricky took some losses and he, and he kind of used that fuel to like kind of do the homework, like sit behind, watch what, uh, watch what the, the young guy was doing, see where they're going to make mistakes, know that it's a long championship, know that they're going to make those young guy, uh, you know, mishaps and stuff. And sure enough, in both cases, Ricky won a title doing that. And now Eli won a title doing that the same thing. So, Hearing it back kind of sparked those, oh, you know, I've heard this before. I've heard the same kind of analysis, and it was way back in the day when those yeah. guys were going at it. And um, it's they again, it's the same technique, man, where they're they're literally just sit there going, you know what? I know it's a long season. I know it. I know this young kid's gonna make a mistake. I just got to be there, ready to pounce. Use use what I know and my my tactical bag of of tricks and and make it happen. And it's it, it's really cool to see kind of history happen twice in in, in a way. And um, you know, it, it's. 
it, it, it was it was pretty cool. Like I I do agree that first moto was pretty badass, man. The way that Tomek, um, you know, watched lines and set and set himself up for the best position possible when that when that issue did arise. I thought it was I thought it was textbook. It was super clean, super smooth, and man, that's that's why the guy's a champ. Racecraft, uh, Nick. Your, your thoughts as well. You know, Steve breaking it down. The, the guys, both the guys breaking it down in studio. Like, it could have been real easy for them just to be, say, hey, you know, Chase made a mistake and Eli capitalized. But the, the analysis kind of getting in deep of what they've been learning all year and Chase, you know, kind of maybe, maybe should have thought about that and, and repositioned himself as the chaser because Steve did ask the, the question, right? Would you rather be the chaser or the chase? Chased. And I think the chaser in that position or in that type of situation is the better position. So maybe that's just the experience that Eli has, you know, right? And that Chase needs to mature a little bit more and maybe uh, develop his racecraft a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. You know, both those guys in studio, 100% correct. I look at it as well, you know, from a pulp point of view, it, you know, people can watch this on TV and, and, and sort of hear it and not sort of know about it. People that don't know the sport as much, they can listen to someone like Kelly and they can listen to someone like Steve break down that race and almost put you in the position of the rider. And I feel like it would explain it so much better to the average fan. Like, for us, it's all good because we can we watch it, we break it down ourselves. But someone not as... Um, you know, invested in it, can listen to Pulp and see that. And, and, you know, I feel like they'd go and listen to that and then watch the race back and go, oh, okay, that's what he was talking about. That's yeah, what he was talking yeah. about. That's, that's one thing I love about Pulp being what it does to the sport. Absolutely. What about the comment that they were discussed the fact that Eli might be the best he's ever been at 29, and that's so unusual, Drake, for a guy – <laughs> I just called you Drake. Dave. Hey, man, a lot of you, it's all good. Uh, you don't call me Malcolm or something. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah. That's funny. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, I, I get that at the races every weekend. You Do know you really? <laughs> dude. I, I, so I, I'm, I'm so happy. I just cut off like 10 inches of hair. And dude, I, if I still get the, hey, Malcolm comments, dude, I'm going to flip the table. <laughs> that's freaking, man. That, yes. You know, t- to us, you all look the same. oh that's terrible terrible anyway so the guys made the the compare the the brought up the topic that eli might be the Mm -hmm. best he's ever been at the age of 29 and dave it's very unusual for a guy at kind of in our sport the tail end of his career to just Mm -hmm. still be the best to be that good to maybe still be peaking but Eli is an anomaly. Yeah, I mean, on, honestly, I, I don't know what the magic sauce is that, that he has right now. It could be that, you know, he spent so long on the Cowboys that this this bike color change for him, uh, this whole brand change is like revamps Eli and he's around a uh, relatively new group to him. It's a fresh bike. He's got a new outlook on things. Um, it. That could be one, you know, some of the variables that, that go into it, or the dude could just really be prepping his career or, or prep his career so that he peaked at the proper time. I mean, he could just be having fun finally. You know what I mean? It, it's it's very rare to see somebody like you mentioned uh, tail end tail end of their career. Now let's, let's call it what it is. It, it is the tail end of his, his career that's still having fun, that's still progressing, that's still 
uh, you know, able to ride like he did when he first went pro. The only other time I, I think I've seen Eli be this good was um, maybe when uh, he first went to 450. I think it was outdoors and at Glen Helen when he gapped Dungey by like a minute or something stupid yeah. like that. That that's another time when I was like, holy crap, Eli's in the next level. And sure enough, this year too, I think I think the guy is 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 solid, man. I mean, granted. You need more than just the speed that he had back then. Obviously, we saw that he, you know, he crashed and, and had some issues, but he's just he's got the full package. He's got the speed, he's got the race crap, he's got the patience, he's got the right bike, uh, he's got the the stamina, um, he's got the smarts when it comes to line choice and just really knowing when to do what. Uh, it, it just seems to be all coming together for him. I don't know if it's just a coincidence or if it's crafted this way, but man. If I could harness just one tenth of what the guy has, <laughs> sure. Oh my gosh, could could you imagine? No, no, I could. <laughs> could you imagine, man? Oh, I'd be kicking ass in Texas, man. You'd be almost as fast as Malcolm Stewart. <laughs> oh, something like that. <laughs> uh, uh, Nick, this this topic, though, you know, is just a brief kind of statement or question that was brought up, but. It really it allows us as listeners, Nick, to kind of really sit back and think, huh, that's yeah, really interesting that, that he is that good and why is he that good? And Dave just gave some good points. But then, like, my side, I lean towards, like, the Chris Kiefer side where our home life. And Steve has said, I think either on the review show that – I think it was a review show this week, and we've heard it many times on Pulp, that this is the happiest we've ever seen him. Well, why is he so happy? Is it just the team? Is it the two kids and the being married? Who knows? But I do think this is the happiest he's ever been in his career, and maybe that took some of the pressure off. Maybe that took something off his shoulders that made it a little bit more of a struggle, and now it's he's enjoying it, and we're just seeing the best Eli we've ever seen. Yeah, you know, it's, I, I almost see it as a combination of things, you know, whether it be home life, the kids, the the change in the team, sort of a maybe a different outlook on things. But I, I dude, I 100% stamp, you know, this is the best version of Eli Tomac I've seen. Um, even like on, on Saturday afternoon watching him, sort of just stood back at the back of the truck there and he did, I don't know, how many interviews and not once did he make it look like he was not interested to to do that, talk to that person, still had a big smile on his face. It was, it was, it was bizarre. Like that's not the Eli you would have seen two or three years ago. So, Agreed. Um, very different. Whether that's what it's alluded to, but I, dude, I agree with with the, with the guys as well. I, I honestly think this is probably the best version of Eli Tomac we've ever seen. Yeah, I agree. In 1891, Michelin patented the first detachable bead pneumatic bicycle tire, and to this day, Michelin continues to innovate and produce world-class podium-finishing products for both road and mountain bikes. If you'd like to ride the same Michelin bicycle tires as mountain bike legend Cam Zink and the 2019 EWS champion Sam Hill, as well as myself, then go to bike.michelin.com for all the details on Michelin's extensive range of bicycle products, including the Wild Enduro, the E-Wild, the new 20-inch BMX tires, the Pilots, or any of the other road models, visit bike.michelin.com for all the details. Lewis Phillips, Dave Drakes. Lewis came on. A couple of topics that he talked about that I enjoyed were the discussion of Ruben, uh, which is Hurling's man friend who is no longer with KTM, and how that may or may not affect Hurling's. Then we had him talk about his – he had a little bit of a rant. That was my favorite part on EMX, on the EMX Open class. And Steve even brought up the fact that he might be coming around to Tim Geyser, and they discussed that. Was there anything in particular that stood out to you with Lewis Phillips? 
No, honestly, the, the big one was, uh, was, um, uh, the man friend, uh, taken off, man. That, that one was a little, was a little weird. Number one, I didn't even know he had a man friend. And then, yeah, just hearing, just hearing like the, the sort of the backstory, um, and, you know, and I'll, I'll call what it is, how instrumental he was to, to, you know, Hurling's run and stuff like that. It made me a little nervous for Hurlings. I'm obviously a, I'm a, I'm a Hurlings fan. I love to see a really, really solid sand rider. Um, and yeah, that, that kind of threw me off. So now I'm wondering, like, is there, is that like the Achilles heel to what, you know, Hurlings is going to do in the years that are com- coming, you know, it's, it's just going to be a, a, a huge problem, a huge distraction, sort of like the opposite of, of what Eli Tomek has right now. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, I, I don't know. I'm so, I'm nervous. Cause now like that's Hurlings is my number one guy for the GPs, man. So I, I, I don't know. It kind of, uh, it raised some red flags with me for sure. Yeah. Nick, I heard that. When there was a moment, very short moment, I believe, where Hurlings took all the KTM posts off of his Instagram. I don't know if you saw that or remember that, but I, I've heard it was because of this situation with Ruben. That's how pissed off he was. So I definitely think this is going to cause an issue with next year. Yeah. Holy, I didn't know that. It's funny. I only heard a rumor yesterday about <clears throat> um about hurlings and sort of what he's doing. So that's going to be interesting. But yeah, I've heard dude, that too. <laughs> I love when, um, you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Um, I love when, uh, you know, he calls in and sort of, I just like, yeah, he's brought the aspect of, uh, you know, MXGP and some of the storylines over there and sort of connected it a little bit more with Pulp. That was something I like really enjoyed. And I've, you know, I've said before, I think we should bring him on every week after a uh, MXGP round. And then uh, obviously there towards the end, Steve sort of uh, looking for some information. So there could be some rumors going on um, about him. So that could be interesting. What, what was, what's your thoughts? Well, I don't know. I, I just, I know there's some rumors going around. I feel like as good as Lewis Phillips is, we need him over here in the States. So I just hope some things, you know, maybe he'll get fed up with all the getting in trouble in the GPs, and maybe he'll just decide to come across the pond. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. You know, you, you sound like you know something. No, I don't know anything. I'm just wishing he was here because I like the guy. So okay. Who, okay. who knows? Okay. We'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> next up, Josh Jelly Ellington came on. Josh is one of my buddies. I really I met him a few years ago. I think Josh is one of the good guys in the pits. He's a great mechanic. Obviously, multiple championships with Justin Cooper and now Eli Tomac. What'd you think of him, Dave? Uh, I don't know how much you know about Josh, but he was a good interview. Yeah, I, I don't know too much about Josh, but um, he's relatively quiet. I, I, I see a lot of other mechanics that are like a little bit more prominent in their riders, like social and stuff like yeah. that. And, and yeah, I, I don't really know much about him, but. I think last night was one of my first times actually hearing him talk in depth about things. And um, yeah, definitely a, a, a pretty down to earth kind of solid sounding guy. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, yeah. I think it's it, that rider mechanic relationship is pretty important. So uh, it, it kind of makes sense <laughs> him, him and him and Eli and the success that they've had, you can kind of hear how they they're Some, some of the mannerisms are kind of the same. Some of the inflections are kind of the same. Uh, you can tell they've got somewhat of a similar personality and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, super, super humble, super good, and super knowledgeable, which is always nice. Um, pretty good at explaining the ins and outs of, of um, you know, their rider relationship and what's going on and what it's like to win the championship, stuff like that. So I thought it was a, a 
a solid interview and uh yeah he's definitely definitely cool to hear more from from the mechanic side I, I wish they i wish more mechanics were a bit more vocal and did more interviews and we could hear the their insider's perspective on things and what really happens here and what they're thinking as their guys about to win a championship you know what i mean it'd, right it'd be really cool if we, if we could highlight more of those guys uh hey nick just listening to what dave just said does that make you feel anything at all Oh, it could it could be could be a little something there. So I thought, yeah, yeah. What I what I feel is like he does not listen to the Moto X Pod show at all. No, no, yep, yeah, um, definitely bizarre. Yep. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's kind of hurting my feelings yep. a little bit because I mean, Josh has been on. How many times has Josh been on my show? And how many times has Duffy been on? And articles. I mean, literally tomorrow there's oh. an article coming on out on Vital MX with Josh and Duffy about each other. But I guess Dave doesn't care oh, about that. I guess Dave doesn't. I, I, I must. I must be missing those, man. Yeah, yeah. I guess so, Dave. <laughs> I must be missing the. I, I listen literally. I your dark side. Your your pod is one of the ones that I listen to. I got maybe about four that I actually put into rotation. Yeah, yours is definitely one of them. I must have missed a couple weeks, or I must have been tuning out, or just multitasking yep. something okay, crazy. Dave. But okay, Dave, <laughs> keep, keep it keep keep it coming, and I'll uh, no. I'll, I'll make sure I tune in. <laughs> anyway, though, Kellen asked him a great question though about how he prepped for knowing that he was going to work with a guy like Eli. Right? We all kind of have this image of what Eli Tomek's like over the years, and it was a great question. Let's listen to what was said. You find out you're going to be his mechanic. Uh, you know what kind of goes like through your mind, and, and how you kind of prepare to, you know, meet him and and kind of understand his tendencies and get to know what he is as a person. I mean, I was honestly, I was pretty nervous, like to show up day one at his house with a brand new Yamaha, and uh, obviously, like a lot of people were there, photos and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's a pretty big moment and you obviously want to start off on the right foot and make a good impression with the new guy and keep the confidence going. And from there, it was just, uh, I went out to Colorado a couple times and just basically because you want to have a good relationship with your rider who you're with every weekend and then just got to know him and the whole Tomac family. And uh, it was good. No, they're great people and have uh, treated me really well. And, just the pressure like Eli's a veteran guy and every every series he goes to race he wants to win and then win the title so you also got to have that mentality with him that you have to be damn near perfect to fulfill the duty for him to go out and win especially with how good Chase was too everything had to everything had to be spot on to win Nick this was a really great great question by Kellen because as listeners, right, I'm sure everybody's like, oh, how cool would it be to work with a, one of these professional riders? I wonder what it's like. Like, you know, the the fans go maybe meet these riders for the first time at a meet and greet, and they're nervous. So I thought it was a really great question to wonder what a mechanic who has also probably heard the stories of Eli and seen what he seems to be like in interviews or whatever, but not really know the guy and have to go to his house with a new bike and get to know him. I don't know, just really insightful and kind of a fun question to see what Jelly thought. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, I feel like um, you're sort of in this book, we've got to give a lot more credit to the mechanics and sort of what they do, you know, what Josh has done this year with, with Eli's, you know, from, from nothing on a brand new bike and they've gone out and won two championships together. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. And I, I feel like a lot of that's got to go back to Josh as well. 
Um, obviously, you know, the two dudes working together, same as Christian and, uh, and Duffy as well. I feel like their mechanics need a little bit more um, recognition, you know, some of the hours they do. You know, I think it was Eli sort of said it on the podium that afternoon when they were giving Josh the Mechanic of the Year. Uh, I think that's what it's called, that award. It's pretty awesome. And um, to hear that and hear how they go through and sort of, you know, where Josh came from as well, um, it's, it's pretty awesome. I'm a, I'm a big fan of those guys. Yeah, I just I like the perspective they brought Monday night on Paul with the way they ask questions. It wasn't so much like how many clutches do you have to, you know, replace and, and all that. It was kind of getting to know Josh a little bit, getting to know how the relationship worked, and I enjoyed it. And, and then, of course, they, they brought up about the fact that these riders, these mechanics give away plastic at the end of races, whether it be Supercross or Nationals, and we keep hearing about all these rude kids. And, like, hearing Josh talk about it, Dave, it just kind of pisses me off with how kids – I guess I'm being broad with this, but how kids seem to be like have no uh, respect anymore. No, no curtain. There's no courtesy. There's no uh, manners. That's the word I was looking for with these kids. It's just kind of sad. Uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how it is, man. Honestly, yeah. honestly, I've, I've, I've seen a little bit in the pits and yeah, it, it kind of perplexes me too. It's like, I mean, maybe it's like an old guy, but when I was a kid, man, like it was just cool watching these guys work on the bikes. It alone, Hey, can I have some plastics? You know what I mean? That was just a over the top. If they saw you standing there and you were there for a long time, you know what I mean? Like I didn't feel entitled. Right. I don't know. Maybe yeah. Some yeah. Kids, yeah. Yeah. Maybe some kids now feel like, Oh, it's they're They're entitled and, and everything happens now, 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 you know, for them. So, um, it, it, it is, it is a little weird. I mean, but on the other hand, I do see some kids that are like just in Marvel just to see the mechanic push the bike by, you know what I mean? So, I wouldn't paint a huge wide paintbrush saying that it's all these kids nowadays, but definitely some of them can be entitled and, and it, it can piss off the mechanic big time. I mean, there, there's ways to, to ask a mechanic or a rider for like, hey, a signed glove or a number plate or a fender or something without being a little dick about it. So, uh, yeah, there's there, there, there's there's a there's a process to it. There's a, there's a way to go about getting it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Gus Racing was established in 1990 as a premier off-highway seat manufacturing company offering high-performance seat covers of foam for motocross, supercross, and off-road competition. Guts Racing has worked with every top rider at some point of their career, from Steve Lampson and McGrath in the 90s to Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart in the 2000s, and today with Rockstar Husky, Pro Circuit Kawasaki, and many more. If it's style and performance you want, you've come to the right place, so check out GutsRacing.com for info on the many products offered, such as the Phantom Light Seat Foam. Nick, Ryan Dungey, final race announced steve steve said it out loud he he read it on vital we broke the news because we're the best but no ryan dungy not coming back are you surprised and was it a successful season i think everybody would agree it was but maybe you don't know better any better um i actually did an interview with dungy that afternoon as well and this i know this is going well off off topic what we're talking about Uh oh i asked him the same question about whether it's been a success for him and, and stuff like that, I genuinely think he's not he's not impressed with how he rode. The whole thing of him not getting a podium this year, um, he mentioned that to me like three times. It was it was odd. Um, what what about you? What about you? Do you think it was a success? I think for what I ex- suspect I expected out of him, it, yes, it was a success. I agree with you, though. Ryan Dungey expects the absolute best out of himself, 
and it's probably expected at least podium regularly or a few times. So for him, I would agree with you. He probably does not feel that way. Yeah, it was definitely, definitely bizarre. Um, and I, dude, I don't know. I was expecting, you know, the come last. I think Steve even said a couple of weeks ago that, you know, that potentially he was organizing something with KDM for next year and that he was expected to return. And then, yeah, he said the, the same thing to me that no, he doesn't gonna. And this is, uh, he feels happy to go out on these terms, etc. Yeah, let's listen to a little bit of the audio and then I'll get your thoughts, Dave. Uh, I didn't talk to him after the race. I saw people interview, and then I saw on Vital mm-hmm. uh, a quote that he said he's done. And, and so he's hanging in a backup. I asked him a few weeks ago because I'd heard from somebody at KTM that mm-hmm. he's coming back. I couldn't nail down whether it was Supercross or Motocross or both, um, but I heard he was coming back. And then he was real smiley when I asked him about it. Like, you know, yeah. he's, he's made a decision on it, and it seemed like it was all a go. And then this weekend he's just like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. I'm shocked too. Um, yeah, I think I first asked him back at round seven if he was going to be done at the end of the year. And, and like you said, he was very much like, well, I've got some things to think about. Yeah. And usually when they have some things to think about, it, it means that they're pretty much trying to finalize stuff yeah. at that point. Everything was trending in the direction that yep. at worst he would be back to do 23 outdoors and maybe even Supercross. Yeah, or the SMX thing or whatever or something, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I still say it was a successful comeback to racing oh, for Ryan Dungeon. 100%. Yeah. I think he was racing. I have a theory. I don't know if it's right or right. We're, we're going to get Ryan on here next week or the week after. The way I heard he was coming back and the way he was acting like he was coming back, that seemed all new or, or all good and, and, and going to happen. And then all this sudden decision to me, this reeks of KTM saying, hey, man, we went through the budget and we can't support you. Yeah, like th- that. That's what it reeks of to me, and then that was just a sudden like, oh, I'm done. Dave, I want to get your thoughts on that last part on Steve's theory because we have pretty much heard from everybody, and I haven't talked to Ryan that many times this year, but it did sound like he wanted to keep going. So I think Steve's theory is a solid one. Yeah, honestly, I I feel made different emotions. So I personally think that Dungey did absolutely incredible. The guy came off the couch, and I say that very loosely because we all, we all know Dungey. The guy's probably still doing triathlons and all in, in his retirement. But <laughs> For fun. dude came back, and I saw him at Southwick, and dude, he was riding so freaking well, man. Like it looked like he didn't miss a beat, and, it, and nothing nothing against uh, Dungey or anything, but I, I think I don't think he was prepared or knew just how fast the Tomac and Sexton and, and Roxon and, and uh, Anderson, two of these guys, right. like how, how much they've elevated the game in the five or six years since he's been out. Um, with that being said, do absolutely surpass my expectation. I, I, I'm a huge Dungey fan, but I thought, all right, the guy's been out of the game for a while. He's probably going to get like seven, eighth. And dude was like on the door of podiums against some young guys. So, I think he did awesome. I'm super bummed he's not coming back. And the, the look on Dungy's face throughout the season, like it looked like he was enjoying himself. Yeah, he wasn't winning everything, but he was in the fight. He's in the conversation. That's that's huge for somebody coming off of uh, retirement, out of retirement for a little bit, right? Racing yeah, outdoors. Absolutely. It's not like he just did Supercross. He's doing outdoors, <laughs> and it was brutally hot this summer. So uh, to me, it looked like he wanted to come back and – this there's some validity in this i feel like i feel like there isn't um there was there was a talk where it just didn't work out for for ktm and 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 ryan or or maybe they did have a ride for him but it was pennies on the dollar versus what he wanted you know so 
it, it, it could be uh, it could be a host of things, man. But I, I'm just I'm really bummed that he won't be there because I was very, very, very impressed with the way he rode, man. He yeah. looks so freaking awesome up there. Yeah, I think he would rather ride than not ride. So I, I think Steve's got a valid theory there. Uh, I don't know how you guys feel about baseball, but I want to know how you feel about Chris Betts, Nick. Not exactly a moto guy, not an industry guy, just a super fan of the sport. And I love, as I say, every time he comes on, I love his passion for it. I love that maybe he doesn't know all that much about the the behind the scenes details of the sport, but he loves the sport and he's all in. And he's talking about it with his buddies in the locker room, or they're they're, they're seeing the the podcast Pulpamex on the TV, like what the fuck is this? And he's just spreading the love throughout baseball. I, I am just a big Chris Betts fan. I love him on the show. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, dude, I'm I'm one hundred percent there as well. I think it's cool that he doesn't know the whole backstory. And I think <laughs> right. That, I think that's one thing I like about it. I think because he's a little bit naive to the whole thing as well. And then the same thing, you know, trying to spread it through baseball. And you go, you've got the baseball team putting out tweets about it. You've got other players like working out what the hell's going on with this thing. Like, it's cool, and it's just like another one of those additions to Pulp, which are super cool and. You know, throughout the year, bets hasn't changed at all. And I was, like, worried that he would. But I think the dude that you get on the show, that that's Chris Betts. That's him every day of the week. And um, I usually like it whenever – if you notice, whenever he's on the phone or something like that, Steve's usually there stroking his baseball bat. Like, yeah, leaning yeah. Back in the chair, like, like, things like that. That's, I think that's sick. Yeah, speaking of bets, Dave, he is – I think Steve mentioned it on the show, I believe, that he's down in Frisco, Texas, which is about two and a half hours from me. And he will be playing tomorrow night, so I'm making the drive over to Frisco. And uh, I'm going to go nice. watch Chris Betts play, and I think we're going to have dinner afterwards. So that ought to be a lot of fun. I'll get to meet the guy and see what he's really like in real life. What do you think about him? I, I like him. I, if, if nothing else, I think he's freaking hilarious. <laughs> I love the fact that like his whole relationship with AC – is like almost like buddies and like they they met each other in like a freaking subway parking lot or something stupid <laughs> and then he found out later on that ac was who he is yeah yeah and it's like and it, it almost sounds like he's like like a normal like a regular buddy of his just talking about oh yeah he's doing this race this week i'm a fan because like he's my buddy not because he's the golden child ac you know what i mean so from that perspective it makes the the dialogue and his his perspective freaking hilarious yeah, I think he's great. It, it, yeah. it's, yep. it's so funny because he, I mean, he's he's an insider only because he's friends with like some pretty high profile people in the industry. So he's 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 a fan who's journey, who's just learning about the sport in a very high level way, and it, it just it just makes for some hilarious back and forth between him and Steve, and and you know the anecdotes between uh, Bats and him on AC. Even it's it's freaking hilarious, man. I, I he's he's honestly probably in my top five just off of the jokes, not even okay. the moto commentary, yeah. not even like the, the insider knowledge, just the jokes alone. He cracks me up. Well, AC 23 supercross champ stamped by Chris Betts. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a tough one, but yeah, might be. but Hey, Chris Betts, <laughs> Chris Betts says it's going to happen where I gotta, I gotta believe it. Uh, Jason <laughs> Thomas obviously makes his regular appearance on the show with and we had some discussion on the top-ranking fantasy players, guys coming into the Fox Raceway Finals who were, like Vin Murphy, who were in the top two or three positions for fantasy, Nick. And they decided to go with Jerry Robin, who has the highest DNF rate. 
I don't know, man. This fantasy thing just fucks with all our heads, Nick. We were discussing it day of. Somehow, I ended up 32nd on the day. That was my best of the week of the year. But these guys that were right there on the cusp of winning the whole thing, taking Jerry, that just shows how fucked we get in the head on this game. That's a dangerous. That is a dangerous game to play. <laughs> I, I feel so much better with my life, both mentally, emotionally, and just overall that I do not play Pulpomex fantasy. Um, I just, I'm just at peace with myself now. I'm just, I don't hate riders. I don't want to send them messages. I don't want to crash tackle them into the ground. I just, I'm at peace with the situation. And then listening to people wanting to pick Jerry Robin, that is is on them, and they have some serious issues they need to work out with themselves. Well, I want to say congrats to Smelly Vag on winning the YZ250F. Steve didn't want to say Smelly Vag. He called him SV, I believe, Dave. I can't remember. Do you play? You play fantasy, right? I, I do, and I'm one of those people that Nick's just talking about where you're just stressed all the time <laughs> yeah. and you hate the sport and <laughs> you, I've been there. you can't sleep at night. <laughs> oh, dude, that's that's literally me. And, like, I'm friends with all the writers in my program, and there are some nights where, like, for example, like Kate will come up to me and talk, and I'm like, dude, you let me down tonight. I need 10 minutes of space. I can't even <laughs> talk to you right now. Like, that's so you know, it, it literally – and. I, I'm literally pacing back and forth, not even like watching the races, just like glued to my phone trying to figure out who screwed me over for the night. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I I kind of let it go this year. I was so bad in the beginning that I just quit caring. I kept playing, but I wasn't upset anymore. It's like, I know I'm going to be bad. I know whoever I pick's going to DNF. Just as to what it is. And this week, it just sort of fell into place. I didn't get any prizes, but I got a 32nd. And I'll live with that. That's not too bad. That's uh, not bad, man. Role? That's not bad. What'd you say, Nick? Where did you finish overall? Like in the, uh, in the season? I actually have it right here. Outdoors, you mean, or for the whole thing? The whole thing. Uh, two thousand five hundred fourteenth. That's not bad. Uh, MX, I was two thousand three hundred thirtieth. Oof. Yeah, not great, but you know, hey, wasn't last. Where, hey, where did better Steve than me. Go? What, Nick? Where did Steve finish overall? I don't know. I'd have to. I, I never asked. So I'm not sure. Mm, yep. I'm gonna find out. Uh, all right. Let's talk about seal savers. I got new bikes sitting outside. They made it home. We're gonna get to all that, and they gotta have seal savers on both of them for 22 years. Seal savers has offered the ultimate protection to the off-road industry. Seal savers is their first and the original fork seal protection that protects your forks from dirt, dust, rock, sand, and mud. Seal saver. Seal savers will always continue to innovate and improve improve which is what led to the development of the easy to install zip on seal savers not only do they have a full line of products for your motorcycle seal savers has essential products that are crucial for the performance of your side-by-side and your mountain bike seal savers is the ultimate protection so enter code pulp 25 for 25 percent off at sealsavers.com before we get to the discussion of my bikes making home and whatnot we got to get to mitch payton my favorite guest of the night first nick like Glen Helen, right? We were at Paul this weekend. Glen Helen would be a much better California round to have. He talked about getting with Troy Lee and trying to figure out a way where they could promote the race and bring it back. It just seems like the the ownership, the management of Glen Helen is such a shit show. It's never going to happen. But but Mitch had some really good topics like that, like talking about Joe Shimoda. Uh, kind of mentioned that Jet Reynolds probably not going to be back for Supercross. Doesn't sound good. He was pretty open 
about a bunch of topics. How do you feel about the Mitch Payton interview as a whole? Dude, I love listening to Mitch and, and, you know, hearing him and, okay, so him and Troy Lee, like two of the biggest players in the game, you know, trying to get better and saying, okay, we'll promote this race. We'll do all that side of it. We'll, we'll get it going. Like, that is so awesome that, you know, people of that caliber of two of the biggest players and team managers were, you know, going to work together to get this back on the schedule. And even that couldn't get it going. I know. Once I heard that, I was like, okay, uh, dude, I honestly think we're not going to go back there nope. at all. I agree. Um, it's super disappointing. And then sort of hearing him go through each of his riders there with Steve saying like the new name, new ne- next name every time and sort of just getting Mitch's feedback on it. Um, awesome. I can listen to Mitch all day. Um, he's, he's a really, really knowledgeable guy. Love to, love to hear it. Well, my favorite thing he brought up and the Jet Reynolds discussion sort of led into this or kind of backed it up a little bit was his discussion of amateurs leading into their pro careers and how that development works out. I think that first year for anybody, I don't care how how talented you were at Loretta's. You know, like we talk about that now, and I'm like, the problem with Loretta's is there's five good guys, and those kids are all pretty fast, and those kids all have good bikes, so they're equally matched. And then there's some of them that are, you know, there's kids that are really good starters. But then when you turn pro, you race against all the kids that used to be at Loretta's, and they used to be good starters, <laughs> and they used to be pretty fast, and they're on good bikes. You got to weed yourself through all those guys, and you know, like you, you see some guy that might be an 18th place guy, but he might get a good start, and then all of a sudden you're going to work your way by that guy, and then this guy, and to come through the pack sometimes is really difficult. I think it's hard to grab a guy the first year and expect a lot. I always say that's a throwaway year. You're lucky if you can get the guy through all the supercrosses and outdoors without having an injury, to be honest. They're just not completely ready, and I think they're shocked at the, the level of difference from amateur to pro. And some guys will say that I'm wrong, but I don't think really I am. I think the best of the best amateurs should ride against each other more, and they need to be able to do that so that you can see who is the guy and then also longer motos because then you'll see who has a little bit of a base fitness because if if it's just those little amateur races where they're you know 12 14 minutes you know like get a good start a lot of guys can hold on dave the reason that audio stood out so much to me like i'm driving back through you know through freaking new mexico and arizona and i'm listening to this and it really is like ringing true to me with what Steve always argues or always says on the show is like, why are we going after all these amateurs and paying them all this money? It doesn't mean anything. We don't know what it's really good, how it's really going to turn out in the end. You 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 spend spending millions of dollars on these kids and you don't really know what they're going to become. And you take Mitch Payton, who you've got to be one of the best guys to go to for this topic, right? I mean, he's had a, a team since 1990, right? With a uh, team peak where I think was the first year they went in and he's developed riders probably longer than almost anybody that's been in this, in this uh, sport that's still currently in the sport. Who else would you, who else's opinion would you want? And he sort of just backed it up by saying, yeah, they're not ready when they go pro. 
they need more development. They need to race each other more. All these things he just said, like I, I was just like, I had to back it up. Like that was a, one of the first things I time stamped when I was driving home, listening to the show it was like that thing really, that really stood out to me. And I, I don't know. I just want to see where you stand. I agree. 1000 freaking percent. I have, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had that are based around like, why the heck are they putting all of this undue pressure throwing all this freaking cash, which adds to the pressure, putting all this hyper on a kid who really is technically unproven. I mean, the amateur scene, he, he's absolutely right. You're doing maybe 12 minutes. Mostly, most of what you're doing is four and five laps, and you're not even racing the guys that are really going to be in your quote-unquote graduating class or anything like that. Um, I, I, I 100% think it's a throwaway year. The guys that do really well their first-year pro, they're anomalies. That's not that's not normal. Yeah, you know what I yeah, mean? Look yeah. at any other, any other sport. The second you go pro, you, usually you're, you're injured. You're learning the ropes. You're getting roughed around a little bit. You're building that base for the next year or the year after. Um, I, I really, I really think they would be doing these kids a solid by number one, having them stay on freaking big bikes or yeah, stay, stay on big bikes a little bit longer before going pro. I'm sick of seeing guys go from super mini to two fifty Fs, And then eight months later, they're in the pro ranks and it's like, <laughs> Oh, I can't believe he got hurt. Like, yeah, no crap. Right, he was on right. minis a year ago. Like it takes some time to develop, get the strength, get the coordination, the, 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 the race uh, readiness. Stamina is a big thing he brought up. I mean, these are essentially young kids that you're putting out there racing against grown ass men for 30 minutes. You know what I mean? You're, you're gambling a lot on a very unsure thing. You might as well just, take the money and bet it all on black in Vegas. Cause that's really, you're doing the same thing. It's, it's such an unsure thing to do. Um, and it, it's not setting these guys up for success. It, it, it really, really is not. It's, it's really, you're, you're going to have a lot more fall by the wayside. If yeah. you do have a successful run. And, and we've seen that. We've, we've seen, seen, we've seen KTM. Exactly. We've seen KTM. We've seen Husky. We've seen all these guys throw money at these young kids as they go pro. And then two years later, they're retired because they're either, they got hurt so bad or they're just so over all the hype or the BS or just the the what was thrown at them at a time where they weren't ready that they just they they've had enough and it, it's it's really going to come to the detriment uh, to, uh, to a lot of people. I mean, yep. it, it, it really really is going to hurt a lot of careers if we keep going this way. So Nick, I guess we have to say that Mitch Payton and Steve Mathis. I mean, well, Steve Mathis is kind of I, he's right on point with his his argument over the last few years. And we have to kind of acknowledge that that if Mitch Payton says it's true, then it's probably true. Absolutely. I, I agree 100% with what um, Malcolm just said on the phone there. Um, <laughs> dude, it's... Um, <laughs> and, um, I love hearing... Um, I love hearing him break it down and talk about it and then sort of talk about you know what he picked for in riders as well I believe you know a little bit later in the conversation I was talking about McAdoo and you know his never give up attitude and you know to, to Mitch that's a little bit more important than some other things that these guys just don't want to give up I like hearing that and sort of hearing about what Mitch actually does look for in a rider and then considering you know going back to Joe Shimoda as well he was just a filling guy and now he's lead, you know leading the team there so Whatever Mitch Payton does with his boys, it obviously works. And um, like you said, I think we need to take more notice of it. And then, you know, Steve's been saying it as well. So Steve's not wrong either. 
Yeah, I hate, I hate saying that out loud, but it's it's the truth. On this one, he might be right on this one. Uh, okay, generally, I don't use a lot of my calls on Monday nights for the wrap-up show, but tonight we're going to get into a few things that were talked about while I was on the phone, and we're going to start with this. Mr. Side. Yes. I'll see you at GH this Thursday. Uh, no, I'm in Gallup, New Mexico, headed home. I guess not. I guess you're running scared. I got to get home and get back to work. You know? I didn't... Hey. Do we have a chicken drop? No, but we will after this. Oh, okay. We have one, absolutely. I guess... Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't see you... I didn't see you this last Thursday when I was there. All my two strokes. Yeah, I uh, I do this thing called work. Yeah, you better get that practice in because I'll, I'll be riding somewhere. I'll just be in Texas. So yeah, I had to get back myself because I had to work, Steve. But uh, Nick, I think I think Steve's a little scared. Dude, I, I, I that chicken impersonation <laughs> is low key impressive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I take out of that. And All I right. want to hear, I want to hear that drop again and again and again. But um let's just take a team vote between all three of us here. Percentage pie, because Steve does like percentage pie, that Steve does in actually intend to show up at GH on Thursday. What are we at? Well Kiefer told me he was coming, so I'm gonna go ninety five percent. Ooh, but but Kiefer didn't turn up to the show. He Kiefer was meant to be on Monday night show, and Kiefer wasn't there. Yeah, I think Kiefer had a bunch of work to do, so I knew Kiefer wasn't going to make it in either. So I, I think, but I think I think Steve comes. Uh, they've been talking about it for a little over a week. I think he does go. There's no Moto sixty mm-hmm. show, so yeah, I'm going to say he goes. What do you think, Dave? Okay. Uh, I I say he goes. Um, it, once you have the Kiefer co-sign, it's it's pretty much a done deal. I will say. I, I do think you're going to give him a run for his money, Dark Side. I will say that. I know he won some weird, janky Canadian championship in the 1820s or Four something. Of, yeah. like a, on, a, on a steam engine-powered <laughs> KX80. But, you know, he, you got something for him, I think. I hope so, because uh, I've been riding a lot, but then I rode at Glen Helen last Thursday myself, and it wasn't fantastic. But we'll see. I, I'm working on getting my stamina up, so I think that's going to be the key. Not so much I top have- speed. I have the 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 key to you winning, Dark Side. I, I if you need the the key for your winning, you yep. let me know and I'll hand it over. You don't want to do it right here on the wrap up show? What you need to do is you need to contact a certain writer. His name goes under Christian Craig. Um, you need to get him on board as your training partner and uh, he'll lead you to greatness. You think? Um, that's all there is to it. Okay, well, I mean, I'm on troll train right now, you know, troll training as it is, and then Tim Ferry's my riding coach. Yeah, was, troll train, that, that thing derailed on the weekend. Very true, very true. <laughs> well, so nobody, but no, does anybody think that he's a little nervous? Oh, he's nervous, 100%. Without a doubt. All right, I like it. Let's now move on to the discussion of the two bikes in the back of my truck while traveling with the chains. So you got your bike from Vital? Yeah, I'm in the back of the truck now. You just sleep in your truck then? Hell no, I get a room. What do you do with your bikes? Aren't you worried about it? They're, I got chains and locks going through them. They're good. Oh, I roll them in the room. I, mean, I would stress out on that big time. Well, if everybody wants a Husky 350, just follow the 40. 
out to East if Texas. If you're out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, <laughs> yeah. Right if now. you're in Gallup right now, everybody, you can probably get a uh, yeah. couple of sweet bikes. Well, all right. I get where they're coming from, right? A lot of bikes get stolen. Hell, uh, uh blanking on the guy's name, the announcers, Joe. Uh, what was Nick? What was the guy? The oh, fl- uh, Joseph. Allen. Yeah, Joseph Allen. He had the yeah. the Star yeah. Yamaha stolen out of the back of his truck, right? But. I did have, like, the chain I had was a heavy-duty tow chain for, like, towing 18-wheelers with a one of those locks where you, like, it's a solid lock with a very short pin. So the pin, you couldn't even see the pin part that, you know, the latch or whatever. It would have taken a hell of a giant size of bolt cutters or a chop saw to cut this shit. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible, but the the... The idea of like some meth head or whatever having all that and pulling up in front of a pretty nice hotel parked in the lit parking lot right in front of the door, backed up to a light pole, or what ended up happening, I backed up to a fucking ravine that dropped off like 30 feet, so the bed was hanging over the ravine. I felt pretty good about it, Nick. Uh, did you? Okay, but here's the question. Yep. When you went inside to your room, did you think about that more that night than you did prior? No, I fell asleep in about 3.5 seconds. <laughs> I was tired. I and like the idea of sleeping in the truck. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I'll sleep in the bed of the, or in the back seat of the truck. But the fucking where did tr- you, Go ahead. Where did you stay? What was this place called? Uh Holiday Inn Express. In which town? Uh, just right on the west. Why are we? I don't know why it matters, but on the west side of Albuquerque. I want to look at this on Google, and I'm going to judge. Okay, this one actually. <laughs> so I will say he got to me a little bit. It was gated. <laughs> oh, fuck. I, I wasn't going to tell that part, but it was gated. You had to have a code to get in. So he did get to me a little bit, but yeah, I don't know. I. I still feel like with the size of the chain I had, Dave, it, it's it's not like just some little fuck, cheap-ass chain that you can just snap. Like, you, it would have made a hell of a lot of work to get this chain cut. I'm not going to lie, Darkside. I've been there. I am not the rough and rugged dude that sleeps in the back of the truck. I will pull into a five-star. Yeah. And I will, I, will, I will have the same thing. dude. I wouldn't even go as far as to do the, 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 the big truck chain you know, i'll go to freaking walmart i'll get a bike lock and throw that on there and call it a night i'll make sure i get a room where i can look at the bike every couple of hours but dude i'm that's i am 100 percent with you man yeah I and i may say like you. i'm gonna sound whiny or lazy or whatever but to unlock like to roll the bike even if i got a cheap motel with the door right by the truck like it would have taken me 45 minutes to unload all the fuel cans and all the stuff I had exactly. strapped down back there, get the bikes out. It was yep. midnight, 1 a.m. by the time I w- was stopping. I was sleeping for like literally four hours. It just seemed ridiculous. There was no room in my back seat because there was multiple suitcases and golf bags. And I took, I took the freaking soundboard in case I was going to try to do a, the, in case I got there in time to do the wrap up show. It, there was nowhere to lay down other than front seat at that point you're not going to sleep so yeah it just it wasn't i don't know i didn't think it was that big of a deal i thought it was pretty safe nick um i'm looking now it looks safe yeah it looks like it doesn't look like a a map area Nah, it looked it looked fine it was good so 
I think I was okay. I was in, but I, I get where they're coming from. He, he did get to me a little bit, so I'll give him that. Um, met Dennis Rodman. St- Steve's kind of gave me a little bit of shit on that day because you know I was uh, chasing down D-list celebrities. Not the what? case. Did you not hear him say that? Oh, uh, I, 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 I must have missed that. Part. Yeah, yeah. He said you were chasing down D-list celebrities. Here's the. Here's what I'll tell you happened. I'm sitting there. We're all in the media tent. It was pretty damn hot. Most of us stayed in there quite a bit. Couple laps left. Rodman comes on. I see you know, and the TV trucks are literally 50 feet from where we're at in the media tent. So I see that he's done. I know he's leaving. I know it's about time for me to go down to the podium anyway. So I timed it just right. I walked out of the media tent. There he was on my way to the podium. Where, I mean, yeah, I guess I did chase him down. That The intent was to try to get a picture with him. And it worked. It couldn't have worked any more perfect. And what I don't know if I don't think Steve heard me, but I was like, "Hey, what am I going to do?" Dennis asked for a picture. I had to give him one. Steve didn't even respond to that, so I don't know if he didn't hear it or what. But <laughs> the reality is, yes, I wanted a picture with fucking Dennis Rodman. When am I ever going to meet Dennis Rodman again? Yeah, it, 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 exactly, dude. That's crazy. Yeah. And anyway. this is going to sound really bad, Doctor. You don't know who he is. I had no fucking idea who he was. Oh, Nick, right. come on, dude. He was, I had nothing. Nothing. He was a part of one of the greatest basketball teams of all, two of the greatest basketball teams of all time. Before he went to the Bulls, he played for the Detroit Pistons, one of the, one of the bad boys. Which I, I've, I've done a lot of Googling and, and YouTubing. Since, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I've watched a Netflix show with him in it. So, there you go. Yeah, I, there I'm, you up go. To, I'm up to standard, but, I, yeah, I didn't know who he was. Yeah. So I didn't. I don't know when when Steve calls him a D-list celebrity. Maybe Steve doesn't know uh, to the the caliber of him. Well, I think he he means now, currently, because at the time, yeah, he would have probably he would have been A-list. I mean, he was with Madonna, Carmen Electra. Oh my God, Dave Drake's oh, Carmen Electra. Yeah, Jesus. that alone, just the fact that he basketball accolade aside, the fact that that guy hooked up Carmen Electra, he, you deserve. He, Take a picture with him all day, dude. Yeah, exactly. Shake his hand, get an autograph. I yeah. mean, come on. That hand I shook <laughs> touched Connor Electra's ass. <laughs> exactly. his, name, his name actually came up in MotoGP as well this weekend. Um, did you guys see either what that was about? No. I'm not. I won't get to it on here. I'll send. I'll, I'll shoot it to you both after this. But yeah. Okay. Controversy, controversy going on with him there, and I was like, dude. In, in MotoGP and then Pro Motocross in the same weekend, I'll fuck what are the odds? Right. Well, <laughs> let's move on real quick. A couple other things that came up with the golf tournament. Nick, you were there. Just real quick, get your thoughts on the golf tournament that Paul Parabinas put on for RaiseItForUSA.com. Dude, unreal. Um, awesome to see them put together in a, you know, relatively it was a pretty short time to put that together um, in probably one of the nicest golf courses I've probably ever seen. Yep. Uh Awesome, professionally set up. You know, uh, we didn't have to do anything. Everything was all set up for when we got there. Literally, just signed in and hopped in the golf cart and, and uh, just started somewhere on the on the greens there. So, um, congratulations to him and then uh, for the caliber of people he got there as well. You know, the whole industry sort of rallied around this, and it was it was really cool. And um, I'd be 100 percent interested in going to another one and yeah, and learning a bit more about golf dark side. <laughs> but me and you, dude, we we fucking. We need work. We need some work. It was really cool <laughs> to see Chase Sexton show up after such a devastating loss. Still showed up to support and play. 
That was really cool. Jason uh, Jason Anderson was there. A lot of a lot of industry people. Um, Want to move on past that to the voicemails a couple of weeks ago that were you know they're bullshit. You know how I feel about those. But let's. I guess we're going to listen to my rant just for a second. There's just hey, no well, way he, he's getting it with the, with the fucking greasy bandana and the greasy ponytail. <laughs> There's just no way, right? Can you can you not give me a little bit of credit so the fucking asshole listeners don't re- realize that? You know, I worked my ass off for five years for fucking free, basically, hmm. writing articles and... Wow. Let's go. Feisty. Uh, hey, let's go. Feisty Let's go. Maybe he's going to get hey, termed early. The motherfucker that said, oh, he gets Charlie Bogart on a show. Yeah, I did have Charlie Bogart Oh, so it goes back to the voice Let's, Let's go, go dark side. Let it out. Hey, last, Race Tech Ramp 2.0. Last week, or the week before you, Malcolm Stewart. Uh, you know, I've got Dino. Same guys you guys get. I get fucking Eli on the show. So that guy can go suck a fucking dick. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you remember how Jamie was employed by Vital MX? Yeah. But, okay. Yeah, the voicemail stuff gets to me. Because, Dave, going, even going back to other conversations we've had, just the people, the things that people say that are unnecessary. I, I don't know what happened to, like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. People just feel the need to bash and bash and bash. And, like, I don't care if you don't like me. If you listen to what I do and you don't enjoy it, fine. But to go on and just talk shit for no fucking reason and then not even know what the fuck you're talking about is frustrating like I, I it gets under my skin because i don't people do not know how fucking hard i've worked to to say like that one guy in particular who got under my skin is like oh you, it's like we just threw a rock and hit the first person the first person we hit we picked to do media no i work fucking hard put in 40 hours a week on top of my day job for five years with no pay i did not make a dime everything went back into the show to do more content and I felt like I do have earned a little bit of fucking credit for that. I uh, I feel you on this one, Dark Side, so much, dude. They, people will never understand the amount of work and sacrifice it takes to do to go any place in this sport. And Nick can even attest to this too yep. with the Moto Limited. Like the amount of time it takes, not only in your normal nine to five, but coming home, taking a break, eating some food, and then you're up till two a.m working on your passion project or trying to break into whatever it is you want to break into in the industry. It's so freaking difficult and people think it's so easy. And the same people that talk crap about what you're working on or what you've done can never accomplish one third of what, you know, most people in the industry accomplish. They don't have the willpower. They don't have the work ethic. They don't have the foresight and it, it, it gets under my skin too. As much as you want to say, turn the other cheek and blah, blah, blah. I agree with you, dark side. That guy can suck a dick. He sucks. He, he, he doesn't understand. I have the same type of shit on mine and I don't, dude, I don't let it slide one iota, dude. I throw up my phone number. I throw up my address and I'm like, come to my place and come yeah. talk to me about it. And the one <laughs> thing that, that I, that I realized you probably shouldn't do that. I don't recommend people do this, but the one thing yeah, I, you know, I, I realized, is a lot of these people there, and as, as elementary as this sound, a lot of them are jealous because they would love to be a media guy. Like Dark Side has one of the coolest gigs on the planet, so a lot of people would love to be Dark Side, and it probably burns them up that they'll never get a chance to do that. Um, but also, a lot of them, these keyboard warriors, if they met you in person, dude, they, 
they would they would be the biggest fangirl all day long. That same person that was saying all that stupid crap the minute they meet you, it it, it becomes so diffused. Yeah. This this yeah, as as cool as this sport is, there it is filled with a bunch of freaking pussies. And yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I stand behind that one hundred percent. Anyone that, that thinks dark side is not a hard worker, that anyone in the industry is not a hard worker, dude. You you tried doing all of this and, and and going somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, that's why I said they have like I was like these people have miserable lives because I think you're right. I think there, yeah. there's some jealousy because it's not easy to go and just get to know these people and have them trust you to interview you. Nick knows he's been a part of it. Nick was one of those guys that used to talk exactly. To, Nick was one of those guys that used to talk shit about me, and then he met me, and he he was a fangirl. He fangirled out. <laughs> so. And, and he knows, yeah. but Nick knows like it's not easy, right? To get into the industry and start meeting these people. And if you have, if yeah. you, first of all, if you're a good person and you do get a chance to start meeting these guys and they realize that they can trust you, you build relationships just like Nick has with Christian Craig and yep. it takes time and you have to put in the years of doing this and your your girlfriend or your wife is frustrated because like why are you spending three four five hours every fucking night working on this stuff and you know you're you're taking away from everything else and you're at your day job and you're thinking about your your hobby quote unquote to build something and Nick you know all about the shit and to have somebody shit on it you know if you think it's so fucking easy as to throw a rock then throw a rock at your fucking self and do the same thing let's see you start a fucking podcast with no fucking contacts whatsoever and build it to where you have fucking Malcolm Stewart and Jeremy McGrath on your fucking show it exactly. fuck you for having any disrespect for what I've done uh, and Nick you you go th- you're you're building the same thing you're working on building the same type of pr- program Hold on. One, one thing I do want to say before Nick comes on, Nick probably won't bring this up, but it's pro- Nick probably understands this twofold because not only is he trying to build something from the ground up, Nick has to call people in a completely different time zone. Yeah, and like and dude, and put life on hold at like three four a.m. just to talk to some Yahoo to try to build the way up. So I give Nick a hundred percent props on growing Moto Limited and doing it from completely other end of the world. Absolutely. Dude, yeah, I appreciate that. I, I really do. And, like, I appreciate you, Darkside, and, and Steve as well, but helping it, making it so easy. But the way I look at it is the second people started talking shit about whatever, me or Trend or, or Moto Limited, the second they started talking shit, I was like, cool, dude, I just made it. Yeah, like, there's some of that. Care about, they care about, they go out of their day to talk shit and make it known. Awesome, dude. I just made it. And, and like, um, you know, like Malcolm just said on the phone then, all they care about is the jealousy. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all it is. It's just jealousy. And they'll never be one-eighth of what you can do. And, um, yeah, it's people. Another thing that sort of annoys me a little bit dark side is people sort of go, oh, man, I don't know what fucking dark side does with Steve. Steve just talks shit on him, makes a joke of him. Like, they don't understand the banter. And... You know, deep down, Steve is actually helping, and Steve is actually a really good person. That's um, that's another thing that sort of pisses me off a little bit. Yeah, yeah, they don't. Yeah, they just don't realize. Like the people legitimately think sometimes that Steve doesn't like me, and that's why he shits on me. As you know, that like it's real. But then, like, you, they don't. They can't comprehend that. Oh wait, but he's paying him to do a job 
that doesn't they, those two things don't work the same. Like you have uh-huh. to you have some common sense. But all right, let's move on. Uh, but speaking of the voicemails, if you guys do like what we're doing here, even though it's almost over, just a few more months of the wrap up show, possibly Nick may may get this thing going. Keep it keep it going. As of right now, though, we don't know. Send some voicemails in. If you guys like the shit, send some positive ones. Let's get some positive vibes going on Pulp. Let's see if CV even plays the good ones. But those who ride <laughs> dirt bikes, motorcycles, ATVs, and UTVs know Motorsport is the best place for OEM and aftermarket parts, riding gear, and accessories. Motorsport.com's dedicated team of gearheads have the knowledge and expertise to help get your ride working at peak performance and have you looking good, too. Whether you race on the track, ride on the trails, or commute on the street, make your next ride your best ride only at Motorsport.com. Uh, I think we're about to wrap this thing up. Real quick, one question that got brought up, just a general question, was if you were picking a guy to be on your team, Thrasher or Volan, for the future, who would you pick? Nick, I'm going to give you uh, first dibs. Dude, I'm going Volan. Um, I see uh, I see a lot more uh, tread left in the tires there, so I'm definitely going to go with Volan. Um, I think he's a kid and he's still learning, um, and I, I see a lot, of, a lot of talent there for sure. Malcolm, who you got? Oh man, I gotta say, Thrasher, man. Honestly, Ooh. the the dude to me is proven. He's he's proven that he can run up front. That he's really not scared of the guys who are who are a bit more tenured in the class. Uh, he's on a he's on uh, a, a pr- pretty solid team, in my opinion. They, yeah, that's some pretty good things. But uh, in all honesty, man, you, you can just tell he's got he's got the work ethic and that that intangible that's gonna that's gonna carry him far. I'm gonna go Volan. I think Volan's upside. I think his uh, his skill is still somewhat undeveloped, and we haven't seen the best of Volan yet. I, I truly believe in two years he's going to be one of the guys. So I'm going to go Volan. I guess we're going to wrap this thing up, guys. This is uh, the Pulpmex wrap up show. I want to thank all of our sponsors: Motorsport.com, Guts Racing, Michelin Bicycle Tires, Seal Savers, as well as all the other Pulpmex sponsors. Go to PulpmexShow.com. Use those links. Use the discount codes. They'll take you to uh, the sites. There's discount codes. Use them. Support the sponsors that support Pulp Mex so that he can continue doing the shows. We can continue to keep the wrap-up show on with Nick, hopefully here in a few months. We we appreciate all your support. We're going to call this thing a night. Darkside at PulpMex.com if you have any questions, comments, criticisms, etc. Dave, anything I missed? No. Uh, thanks for having me on, man. I, I always have a good time. Uh, check out the collective at the collective ex on Instagram. And yep. We're going to be doing some cool things. Nick, anything I missed that you want to touch on? Uh, that's it, dude. That's it. Um, thank you for, thank you for doing the grind this week. Dark side. People don't know, understand sort of how busy you are throwing in a, a 20 something hour drive as well. So yeah, this was a hard, buddy. this was a tough week to get it in. Cause I usually listen Monday live. As people know, I take my notes, my timestamps, I start cutting audio Tuesday and I get it all together on Wednesday. And that was not the possibility this week with the drive, but Steve gave me so much shit about last week. I had to get it done. He did fucking say it was okay to miss a show. Just so you guys know, I called him. I told him, he's like, yeah, stuff happens. No big deal. He said, well, if you can, try to get Nick to do it. But Nick was traveling also, so his news is the fake news. But we're out of here. That's a wrap. We're headed to the uh, J-Law Championship Party in Vegas. We're going to have some fun. We're going to snort some coke. We're out. Why would you want to re-talk about the Pulp Show?
see 